Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Awesome. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. Hey, I want to share a couple of stories with you, testimonies. Is that all right? We're just going to start off with that and then we'll jump into scripture. We'll be in Exodus 33 for the bulk of our time this morning. Uh, one story I heard yesterday at a pool party, um, one of the parents in our church, she, she was telling me this, that when we did baptisms a few months ago, their, their kid, about seven years old, got, got baptized. And, and leading up to that, they were having some issues with his anger. And she said that he got baptized his choice. He had chosen to give his life to Jesus and profess his faith in Jesus. And so he gets baptized. Well, she says a couple weeks go by and I realize that there has been an incredible change. She said, I realized that it actually started with his baptism, that something actually shifted in him and his anger issue went away at his baptism. How many of you know that we believe in a God that actually is real and marks our lives? That there's real transformation that happens. You can't force a seven-year-old to change his behavior in that way. It's got to be an act of God. Now, how many parents are signing their kids up for our next baptism, right? (laughs) That's not the way this thing works, by the way. Uh, Another story. Um, In the spring, last spring, I was teaching um, at an encounter night, our college encounter night in April. Our college pastor, Dustin, said, hey, Joel, why don't you come teach? And so I was teaching on a renewed mind and how much of actually the the Christian life is learning to think like God, like that we would actually begin to see truth in life the way that God sees it and that our thoughts would come into alignment with him. We're saved because we believe in Jesus, but we're transformed when we believe like Jesus. Some of you may need to think through that and figure out if that was heresy or not. That's okay. So I was preaching and I was talking about the supernatural power of a transformed mind. And I was even sharing some stories of uh, some testimonies of seeing God heal people. Like we've seen a handful of people who had dyslexia instantaneously by the miraculous power of God bring healing, that has been validated, not just like, hey, I think I'm better, but like total transformation, Um, and and in some other things, and so uh, ADHD, um, some of those kind of things. So I I was sharing that, and I was giving an opportunity for people to respond, and I had a a major sense that there were some people that were struggling um, just in in mental health and in clarity of thought, and, and even fear and panic attacks and anxiety and that kind of stuff, and so... We had a time of ministry and had some people stand if they were struggling with, it, with those things. But I had a sense that there were people in the room who, because of shame, and when you start talking about mental health, it's easy for shame to come in. Uh, I just had a sense that there were some people that weren't standing, um, but still needed to be touched by God. And how many of you know that God is so good that he'll step into our lives when we least expect it? And so... I just kind of prayed for those, those people. Well, about three weeks ago, uh, a young lady came up to me and said, hey, I was actually at that night and I had been 
having daily, sometimes multiple a day panic attacks. And she said, for the last three months since that night, I have not had one single panic attack. Come on. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. One more. So we just finished up what we call Sozo Summer Intensive. It was our first round. It's like a a summer discipleship school. Um, These were our guinea pigs, mostly college students. Hey, if you were in that, would you stand up? Awesome. We had, we had 15 graduate in total. It was really awesome. But uh, one of the uh, ladies in that group she had been leading, they were all leading a, a college community group. And, and she shared a story we've been talking about learning to hear the voice of God. We also talked about healing. And she shared a story about the night before at their community group that they were, I think they were in worship she said, I started to have pain in my wrist that I knew wasn't for me, but I knew that God was actually showing me what he was up to, what he was doing. And, uh, and she said, so I asked the group, hey, does anybody have pain in the wrist? And eventually somebody came up and she said she prayed for her and that she was healed. She left without pain in her wrist. How many of you know that our, our testimonies, when we get touched by God, it's... It, it's awesome to be healed, but more than just receiving healing, receiving a touch from God, it's the reality that God is among us. Like that's the, the power of it is that God is so present that he loves to work among us. I want to share a, a, a personal one. I, I told Lauren this uh, probably on Thursday. Yeah, it would have been Thursday. I said, Lauren, I, I feel like this like depress, depression thing coming on me. And I've had some, some rounds in my life with, with depression and, and I could just kind of feel it. If, if, if you've been there before, you know what that feels like. And so uh, I shared that with her and just kind of went on. Well, a few hours later, it'd been several days that I'd just kind of been feeling off, just feeling that kind of foggy weight. And so uh, uh, a few hours later, I was making a, a run to the grocery store just by myself and I got in the car. I was like, I should probably just turn on some worship music and, and worship. And it's like, ah, I don't really feel like it. You ever been there before? You're like, yeah, I just don't really feel like it. So I go to the grocery store, get back in the car, come back home. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll turn some on. As soon as I started to worship, that thing broke. It lifted and, it, and it's not coming back. And it's, it's what Chris was just talking about. There's something about the presence of God that marks us, that changes us. And it's not simply that we have a one-time experience, but that we actually learn to live life in the very presence of God. How many of you know that our world in the last year and a half has gone absolutely bonkers? Right? Like, it's like, if the world had a mind, it lost it. And for us, it feels like we're caught in the middle of it, right? And it's not just COVID, it's like political ideologies, social ideologies, it's fear, it's panic, it's hoarding, it's, it's uh, poverty mentality, it's people losing their jobs, it's real stuff happening, it's rioting, it's chaos. It's like the world seems to be crumbling and falling apart. And if we're not careful, church, we can go in the same direction. It's, it's very easy just to find ourselves going in that same direction. And in fact, I think for the church, probably for the last few hundred years, 
but definitely in my lifetime, American culture and Christianity have seemed to be synchronized. Like, like the, the values, the way of life that we've had in America have been very Christian, right? And it's been actually very comfortable. It's, it's been fairly easy to be a Christian. Like the thought of saying something to somebody, you didn't think, hey, I'm gonna get rejected from that. Hey, they're not gonna be open to that. Hey, that's gonna be difficult for me to bring up. It's like, no, we actually have had the same, the same values, the same thoughts, the same ideologies, and it's been really comfortable. And, and as those actually have begun to drift and, and they've never been the same, by the way. It's just appeared as if they were the same. But as they've begun to drift more, we've found ourselves relying on culture to disciple us and to lead us in the way that we should go and not recognize that it's actually that we need to be marked by the very presence of God. You see, it's not just about good morality. It's definitely not about political ideology. It's, it's not about doing the right things that set us apart as the people of God. It's actually his very presence in us and among us that mark us and that lead us. And yeah, that'll affect the way that we believe. That'll affect our morality. That will affect our, our political ideology. It'll affect all of that, but it's actually the very presence of God that marks us. It's not a belief system. It's not that I vote a certain way. It's not that I subscribe to certain things. It's not that I hold the door open for people and smile. It's not that I'm a big tipper, which Christians tend to not be and should be. Amen. But, it, but, it, but it's actually the presence of God in me and among, in us and among us that marks us. And here's where we find ourselves culturally. We have been living in a Christian culture. Not that everybody has been Christian but that the belief system, the generally held beliefs, the common shared values that we have among us have been very Christian, especially in, in, in the, the South, in Texas. It's like pretty, pretty simple just to go about your Christian life and, and it not seem weird or anything. Here's where we find ourselves headed if we're not actually already there. This terminology may offend some of you. It may even sound defeatist. It's not. I guarantee you that. We find ourselves actually in a post-Christian culture. And it's a culture that is not void of Christianity, but it's actually pushing back against Christianity and Christian values where people in a culture have imposed Christian values on non-Christian people and expected them to live a certain way. And now our culture is rebelling against that, saying, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to tolerate it. And here's what we've done, church, is that we've offered the world our morality without the presence of God. And it's left the world wounded because it's religious pressure instead of the peace of his presence. And I believe that God wants for his people to begin to live under the power of his presence in such a way that we can live in both truth and in love in such a way that marks the world around us. 
that doesn't impose on the world that you would live the way that I live, but that instead is such a bright shining light to the world around us that Jesus is lifted up in our midst and it begins to draw people to him, to the one that gives life. Instead of requiring that you would live a certain way, it actually transforms us because we're a people of his presence. I believe that's what God wants to do in our midst. And I think that's what God has always wanted to do and his people. Go with me to Exodus chapter 33. We'll start in verse one. It said, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place and the people you brought out of Egypt and go to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. Here's what's going on. Moses has just come down from the from, the, uh, from Mount Sinai where he's received the Ten Commandments to find the, the people of God, the people that have just been delivered from slavery, that have seen the Ten Plagues and the, the Red Sea parted. And, and he comes down from meeting with God on the mountain in a very visible and real way to find them worshiping an idol that they've built with their own hands. And so God's quite angry with them. Moses, we know, he actually has has taken those tablets of stone and he's broken them because he recognized that the people of God broke their covenant with God. And so the right response to a broken covenant is actually to break the, the vows, the terms of the covenant. So he comes down He's angry, God's angry. And God says, I am not going with these stiff-necked people. So why don't you and I partner up and we'll go do what I was wanting to do, but we're not taking those people with us. It's pretty heavy. If you're the Hebrew people, you're gonna be pretty glad that you got Moses on your side. God goes on, he says, I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Whew. That word stiff-necked could probably describe many of us at times in our lives. Here's why God would call them a stiff-necked people. Here's what that term stiff-necked means in the original language. It's reference to an ox who is not responsive to the goading of its master when it's plowing a field. It's like the master's like, come on, go this way, change directions. And the ox is so stubborn that it's fit, that it's fixed on going in the same direction regardless of the leading of its master. It's Israel. They've decided they're going to go their own way regardless to the leading of God. Here's how they got into this mess. Go with me to Deuteronomy 5. Keep your finger in Exodus 33, but go, to me with, go with me to Deuteronomy 5. So we know... We know that they were worshiping Baal 
or not Baal, this, this golden calf, and that's not a good, a good thing, bad, bad thing, right? The question is, how did they end up there? You see, our idolatry is always connected to something else. Let's look and see what that is. Deuteronomy 5. Let me say this. Oftentimes in Scripture, God hides things for us. And when we read it, we don't tend to see it for what it is, and so we make up a story in our minds to fill in the voids. Proverbs says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. It's the glory of royalty. That's what we are as royalty in God's eyes. He's adopted us into his family. There's actually glory to be found as we search out the things of God. So this is going to possibly change your version of the narrative of what happened at Sinai. Deuteronomy 5.1, Moses summoned all Israel and said, hear Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Here's what Deuteronomy 5 is saying, is that at Sinai, there was an invitation for all of the people of God to go up the mountain to meet with God. But it was actually their fear that kept them from going up the mountain to meet with God. We know this, that God was not looking for a kingdom with priests, but a kingdom of priests. You see, what God actually wanted for the people of Israel is that they would go and all meet with God, that they would not have a go-between in Moses, but that they would become the people of God collectively having direct access to him. But because of their fear they settled for a priest instead of becoming priests. You see, God has always been looking for a people that he could relate to directly. God has always been looking for a people that would be his own, that he could relate to directly, that he could be in covenant relationship with and walk with face to face. And yet what happened there and what can happen in our day is that we would rather have somebody go with us because we're afraid of what may happen if we go to meet with God. You see, the starting place for their idolatry, for them building the golden calf, was that they did not go up the mountain to meet with God. You see, our idolatry will find its, idolatry will find its way in our lives when we're not doing what we were actually called and created to do. Almost every sin pattern that you'll ever struggle with is actually an issue of idolatry. It's that you believe that you can find life out of something else other than God. It's that you're saying, hey, I'm gonna go to this thing, I'm gonna give it my attention, my affection, my devotion, 
hoping that I can get life from this source, not recognizing that it's actually less than God's best for you. See, Israel had a, had, had a misunderstanding on who God was. They had left physical slavery in Egypt, but they entered into the wilderness still under a mindset of slavery. Some of us are stuck under an old way of living and it makes it impossible for us to approach God. It's like our, our mindset about God and about ourselves. We think that, and this has been my journey, I spent years stuck in this place, that, that God's impressed with what I can do for him. And so I spent so much of my life in self-reliance thinking, I just have to prove myself to God. I have to prove myself worthy of his presence, prove myself worthy to be used by him. I'm gonna go do great things for God and then maybe God will be pleased with me. Instead of recognizing that God made a way for me to have direct access to his presence and his favor and it has nothing to do with what I can do and has everything to do with what he's already done. God was inviting Israel to come up the mountain, but it was their bad thinking that kept them there. Verse four, Exodus 33, four. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. Ornaments is an interesting word, right? Like when you read that, do you think Christmas ornaments? Like nobody's wearing their Christmas ornaments around? It, it was their, their jewelry. You see, they were slaves when they left Egypt, but they actually left with the wealth of Egypt because God was actually trying to transition their thinking from poverty and slavery to royalty. It's interesting that they use those same ornaments that God had provided for them, that same jewelry, that same gold, the plunder of Egypt to build their own idol. They're recognizing that somehow the provision of God has distracted them. Some of us can get distracted not by bad things, but by good things in the wrong place. In fact, oftentimes, our idolatry, right? Like we're, we're probably not making golden images that we bow down to and worship in our houses, right? That's not our problem. No, it's much more sneaky than that. Our issues of idolatry are that we take the very things that God has given to us, the gifts from God, and we pursue them out of order. And it causes us not simply to worship the wrong thing, but to give our attention and our devotion in the wrong direction. And it gets life out of order and we aren't able to pursue first him and his kingdom. You see, God's created life to be with the divine order. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So often when lack gets in our thinking, we pursue the things that God actually wants to add to us when we get everything in the right order. 
when we pursue him, he puts everything else in order. And so they recognize it. And in an act of humility, they, they strip off all their ornaments. And it says, for the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Moving on into verse seven, it says, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance of their own tent. Then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Say face to face. As one speaks to a friend, say friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, Nun is N-U-N, not N-O-N-E, so he actually has parents. They're just named Nun. Did not leave the tent. So here's what's going on. This is before the official tabernacle was built. There was a tent of meeting and Moses would take it and he'd put it outside of the camp wherever they were camped and people could go and they could meet with God. They could inquire of God. Something significant would happen when Moses would go to meet with God. Joshua, which is actually the Hebrew name for Jesus, would go with Moses to the tent. Moses would leave and Joshua would linger. Let me unpack that for you. First off, you've got the people of Israel. And whenever they need something of God, they go and meet with God. Goes without saying that the expectation was that they would hear from God. Right? Moses, who was a friend of God, would go and he would inquire of God. And it was the glory of God would show up. Joshua, one of the only two that would, living that would make it over the age of 20 that would make it into the promised land. Joshua wasn't going into the tent of meeting to get information or to get direction. He was going because he enjoyed the presence of God. And because he enjoyed the presence of God, Joshua, a foreshadowing of Jesus, was able to enter into the promised land when none of his peers other than Caleb were able to. You see, some of us are content with the presence of God in moments when we would go to inquire of God. And so we develop a way of life void of the manifest presence of God. It's like, yeah, I've, I've got enough to make it. Some of us are living with what I'd call sufficient Christianity. It's like, I'm gonna go about my own way and when I get stuck, I'm gonna go to church or I'll have somebody pray for me or I'll open my Bible or I'll spend time with God and I'll do it out of need and obligation. Joshua, on the other hand, would go into the tent of meeting and that day with no 
personal responsibility for Egypt he, or for Israel. He had no responsibility. He wasn't trying to get something from God, but he learned that he could go into the presence of God and enjoy him. And because he was willing to be with him, to enjoy him, he learned not just how to get the answers that he needed, but he learned how to think like God, and that's what allowed him to go into the promised land. You see, when that moment came, when the 12 spies, Joshua was one of them, had gone into the promised land to spy it out, to decide which way they should go, what would they do? And God had already told them what to do, but they, they wanted to get their own eyes on it, and so God allowed them to send some spies out. Well, well, 10 came back with a bad report, but two, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a good report. The, two that, the 10 that came back with a bad report said that we seem like grasshoppers in their eyes. They had made incredible assumptions about the Canaanites, but they'd also made incredible assumptions about God. Joshua and Caleb were relying on the presence of God to lead them. And they knew that their God was bigger than their enemy. It's interesting. Moses, clearly a friend of God, did not get to go into the promised land because he wasn't willing to wait on the voice of God. God was about to bring water from a rock and he struck the rock like he had before instead of waiting on God to, hit, to hear God's direction. And God was going to say, speak to the rock, don't strike the rock. Now, it seems maybe insignificant. Strike to the rock, speak to the rock. The problem was that Moses had used his relationship with God, in that moment at least, to develop a formula for the way that God works instead of to begin to rely on the presence of God leading him. And so often you and I can find ourselves in this place where we develop an expectation that God would move in certain ways and we presume upon God our formulas instead of humbly inquiring of him because we've cultivated intimacy in our own tent of meeting. Here's the glory of the new covenant. The tent of meeting was version one of the tabernacle. Eventually, the tabernacle becomes Solomon's temple. The glory of God rushes in. It's a phenomenal story when the glory of God fills the temple. But the new covenant reality is this, that you don't go to the tent of meeting. You don't go to the tabernacle. You don't go to the temple. You are the temple. You are the temple. You are that place where heaven and earth meet. You have the very presence of God, the, the Holy Spirit living in you that marks you, that leads you which way you should go. And the way that that should look is this in our lives. Is that we go to that place. And 
I would encourage you to cultivate some space where you live that you would meet with God. But in your meeting with God, don't simply learn the acts of God, what God does. You learn the ways of God. I love what Psalm 103.7 says. He said, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. You see, Israel got to see what he did, but Moses understood his ways. God's looking for a people that wouldn't just be able to say, hey, that was God doing something, but that would actually be able to partner with God in his ways. And so we cultivate in our own lives intimacy with God. And then we live from a place of abiding. You see, we make our home in him. John 15, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture talks about abiding in him, making our home in him. Some of us out of religion are content to have a devotion or we'll even call it an abiding time. That's key, but what God, what God wants is that we would be walking temples, not just set up a temple in our house. That, that we would be a people who he's able to speak to and work through at any place, any time. Because it's his heart that everybody would go up the mountain to meet with him. Let me give it to you in a, a more glorious new covenant way. God isn't even inviting us all up the mountain. He came down off of the mountain to meet with us in Jesus. And it's God's desire that we would walk with him. We live in an unprecedented time. I've already said that. If we're going to navigate it well, it's going to be because we're led by the spirit of God. It's going to be because we're people that are marked with his presence. It's going to be because we've laid down our agenda. We're willing to go to him in that place of the tent of meeting and say, God, I need direction. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not going to rely on my own ways. I'm going to, I'm going to wait on your leading. I'm not going to use formulas and principles. I'm going to rely on the presence. And it's God's desire for each one of us that he would give his presence to us in a way that would mark us for a lifetime. Let me say this to you. Every relationship takes cultivating. Some of us read the stories in the Bible not recognizing that a lot of it is like somebody's Instagram feed. It's just the highlights. We get one snippet that Joshua hung out in the tent of meeting. But I believe that was something that actually marked his life. And you see, we want to live these stories immediately or we give up and say, well, God's not really with me. I wanna encourage you to take time to cultivate intimacy with him because what God's looking for is friends. He's looking for people that would meet face to face with him. I love what 
John 15, 15 says, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. It's the heart of God is that he would make known to us everything that we need, that we would lack nothing. But it takes a willingness to humble ourselves, to take off our ornaments, all the things that distract us and allow him to cultivate intimacy with us so that we could be led by him. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you that it's your desire, your design, that we would be marked with your presence. Just hold out your hands really as a posture of receiving and an act of humility. Lord, we just thank you that you've entrusted us with your very self. Thank you, God, that we have direct access to you. Thank you, God, that we get relationship with you. Lord, I thank you now that you're coming in an increased measure in our lives. We want to be a people that host you well. We want to be a people that give our attention to your presence. Holy Spirit, come. Just wait. I feel like God is making himself known to you. Just right where you are. He's increasing, maybe a stirring in your heart, maybe a tingle in your hands. I got to see God pulling weight off of you. It's like you've just been carrying weight to him and he's saying, I've got you. It's what Chris was saying earlier. That dump break, it's gonna start working. God honors your hunger for him. And he's cultivating something in you that'll be transformational for those around you. I just see God's God's voice increasing in your spirit that he's maturing you beyond your years and he's giving you a high value for both compassion and justice And just see this like new prototype of prophetic grace on your life. 
that you become just a, a walking, a walking image of what the kingdom of God is like. The largeness of God's heart for, for people and the highest value for truth. like there's some folks here you're, just as you're standing God's just beginning to, to touch you and you just you're hungry for more we're gonna have our ministry team come forward and I just want them to be able to pray for you if you just need if you just want prayer it's not even about a need it's just saying hey I just need more of God I want more of God I feel like he's stirring something in me and I just need somebody to make an agreement with me for what God's doing I just want you to come forward there are some here you need to trust your life to Jesus you need to surrender to Him. You've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've done church for a long time, but you just need to say, hey, I'm giving my whole life to Jesus. I'm all in. I put my hope and my faith in Him. I believe that God is marking us with His presence. So Lord, I just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, God, that you have called us to be a people with one agenda, it's you. Thank you, God, for making yourself known to us. We want more of you. In Jesus' name.